to V-Back Birth Stories, a podcast where Australians share their journey to a vaginal birth after cesarean. We are a safe haven for women to share their own V-Back journeys and through these personal experiences, educate and empower listeners. I'm your host, Mel. And I'm your host, Steph. And this is V-Back Birth Stories. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of VBAC Birth Stories. We're meeting Renee and she's a mother of two and a clinical dietitian. Renee is also co-founder of Nurture the Seed, which along with her friend Georgia Gregory looks at bridging that gap in pre and postnatal nutrition for women. You can find them on Instagram at Nurture the Seed. Renee's positive approach to both of her births is not only refreshing, but it's inspiring. In Renee's first birth, she was found to have a rare reaction to the induction gel, and this meant that she was taken in almost immediately for an emergency Caesar. Two months into her second pregnancy, COVID hit, and throughout it all, she maintained a belief in herself and her body, despite some of the changes that this meant to her care. Renee really gives some excellent advice for women in pregnancy, regardless of whether they're on a VBAC journey or not. Her sustained belief in her body and herself and that practical view on both births means that despite her repeat cesarean, her journey was still a successful one. Her ability to apply that newfound knowledge to her second birth meant that she was able to walk away from the experience with a positive and fulfilled outlook. In the face of the unexpected, Renee always maintained her composure and ultimately her positivity at the excellent care she received by her midwives meant that she was able to experience two positive birth experiences and reach the end of her VBAC journey feeling supported and empowered. We hope you enjoy the episode. All right, so here we're with Renee, having a chat with her about her two births. Renee, would you like to start by telling us just a little bit about yourself and where you're from? Yeah, sure. I live in Wollongong with my husband and my two beautiful children. Nora is almost three years old and Freddie is just four months old. I am a clinical dietitian and I just work here at Wollongong Hospital, mostly in paediatrics, which is children's health. However, since having my daughter, I started a little bit of a passion project on the side with one of my best mates. And we've now turned that into a little business called Nurture the Seed, where we're working on writing a book on pregnancy nutrition. And yeah, we've been really loving that. Yeah. Did you always have an interest in paediatrics and pregnancy also, or was that something that sort of came from your own experience and being a mother? Yeah, no, to be honest, I've been interested in paediatrics since uni and I pushed really hard to get one of my pracs in paediatrics and I did some research at Sydney Children's Hospital when I was still at uni and Mm. it was at that point that I also became very interested in maternal nutrition because I always just found it really odd that our health service kind of just pushes pregnancy multivitamins and things like that but doesn't actually teach us about the food, whereas Mm. I think we can probably do better and get a bit of both in there. But yeah, there's just a really huge gap between current science and what the guidelines are. So we're trying to bridge that gap. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I guess I'm very passionate about this little little area. Yeah, there's definitely a knowledge gap there to be filled. Your Instagram is very colourful and always appetising. Whenever I scroll past, I'm like, oh, that looks yummy. (laughs) Thank you. you. Yeah, no, it's a good little space to share the knowledge at the moment until we kind of get our book out there. That's great. 
before falling pregnant, what were your preconceived notions about birth and what influenced them? And and did that influence your choice of care as well when you fell pregnant the first time? So I feel like I had quite a real expectation of birth compared to maybe other people because I have a sister and a sister-in-law who I'm very close with and they had both already had two children. So I feel like I went through a lot of the ins and outs of both pregnancy and birth with them. And I had some really close friends who had recently given birth and went into a lot of detail about birth, like the stuff that no one talks about with all the blood and the big um, big black undies and everything else. So I, I did feel like I had a really good understanding of what was real when it came to birth. I didn't necessarily have pretty pictures in mind, but I, I also am a very big believer of the like the power of a women's body. And I really like the idea of a natural birth or even a home birth. But my sister and my mom and my auntie all had seizures, all had emergency seizures. So even though I was really positive about birth and I had some friends who had had great home births, I also had this fear that, you know, maybe I'm going to be a bit like the rest of the women in my family. So yeah, I was a bit confused. When they'd spoken about their emergency seizures, how did they speak about those experiences? I mean, mum's was so long ago, but mum had an emergency seizure for her first and then was only given the option of seizures for her second and third. My sister was in a private hospital and same thing. Yeah, had emergency seizures at the first and wasn't given the option for her second and third. I asked them a lot of details because I thought, we did a calm birth course and I thought, I learnt a bit about, you know, the position of your body and active birth. And I thought, you know what, maybe if I could just maybe, yeah, position my body differently or maybe my mum and my sister didn't know these things so it could still be possible for me to have a natural birth. And obviously what happens to your mum and your sister doesn't mean it will happen to you either. But we literally, Mm. we we had the most identical pregnancies. And, yeah, I think I just had this thing deep down going, I really want natural birth, but I don't know how it's going to go, so I'm going to be open-minded. (laughs) Was there any kind of commonality in, you know, how you're speaking about your mother and your sister and and your own experience? Was there any commonality in those births? I think what bothered me the most was that my mum and my sister, the head both got stuck. I think with my mum, the head was back. So um, that made me think, oh, maybe you could have had a natural birth because maybe it was just the position of the head. But their reasons for the season were similar. And that neither of them engaged and had a really high head and I was exactly the same. So as my pregnancy progressed and I stayed really high and the head never engaged, I just started to think more and more, oh, my gosh, it's going to happen to me too. Yeah. (laughs) You went with a public hospital for your birth. Okay. And how was your pregnancy with uh, Nora? It was was great. I'm probably one of those weird people who really love pregnancy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just, I, I mean, I was sick for the first 16 weeks, but I feel like once you get out of the sickness, you almost forget it happened and it didn't really seem to interfere with the rest of my pregnancy at all. So I had back pain, but other than that, I didn't really have any other symptoms. So I was really lucky. I didn't get the reflux or the swelling or the tiredness. I kind of was just on cloud nine, really. I, I just, I don't know. I feel like there's something really special about being pregnant and it sounds silly, but people walking on the street that you don't even know and they, you're pregnant, they just smile at you and open doors for you. And I don't know. It's just like people look at you as if, like, as if they're in awe of you. And I just, I just thought it was really And they should look at you like that. (laughs) Because it is an awe-inspiring thing. Yeah. I, I, you know, you should be treated that way, but yeah. Yeah, and I did a lot of swimming in my pregnancy, like swimming laps, and that 
was really good both for my like mental health and my physical health I gained a lot from that as well do you want to take us towards the end stages of your pregnancy and what happened there so as I said I was a pretty comfortable pregnant person but as I mentioned briefly before I was carrying really really high so Nora's head never engaged which isn't the end of the world, but it was very similar to what happened to my mum and my sister. So I was a little bit nervous about that. Through the public hospital, I was on the midwifery group practice program, which was awesome. I really loved being on that. My midwife was aware of my family situation and really took that on board, but was also very encouraging of me trying for a natural birth. But once I hit 40 weeks, I had an appointment with the obstetrician and my midwife, and they were just, Nora's head was just so high, they could barely even touch it from they could barely even get in like my cervix was zip shut and there was just nothing happening at all and they started talking about a caesar then they just said that even an induction was a bit of a high risk they'd have to do what was called a controlled induction because otherwise the cord can get clipped when they do the induction cord prolapse is that what it is cord prolapse yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. there was a few things i didn't quite understand Mm. and it's funny going between the two but I guess I work in a hospital, so I understand how they work. They wanted me to, you know, book my induction or my uh, Caesar just after 40 weeks. And I knew I could have requested more time, but I also didn't really feel like anything was happening. Like, it's not like it was gradually getting lower. I had no pains in my pelvis at all, no contractioning at all. So... I think also being a first-time mum, I was so excited to meet the baby that I kind of just agreed to, yeah, sure, we'll come in tomorrow and have an induction slash Caesar. You know, I didn't really know what to say, to be honest. So we ended up getting admitted the next day. So I was only 40 plus one. But then when we got to hospital in true public hospital style, they said, oh, there's no beds, go home. So we went home. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We came back the next day and after a few more confusing conversations around whether I should have a booked Caesar or an induction, they decided they'd try the prostaglandin gel, which is technically an induction, but they basically said to me, the prostaglandin won't do anything to you because you're nowhere near ready, but it will mean that you'll go on the Caesar list for the next day. So it's probably our best opportunity otherwise we can't really guarantee the Caesar until I think like it was like the Monday which was quite a few days away and I was still worried about this high head so I was kind of a bit it was all very confusing to be honest. Were there any scans done on your baby to make sure you know to check baby how baby's doing and was baby doing fine? Yeah I had a scan at just before 40 weeks I think it was the day before my 40 week appointment and everything was completely fine. Was there fear involved with coming from the hospital staff about Um, reaching a a certain point and I think I had the fear from my Mm. mum and my sister that I just kind of being my first I just kind of thought oh yeah I don't know I just didn't want to do anything wrong um so yeah I I mean I was very easily persuaded into a into a Caesar I did kind of want to try for an induction but the whole talk of this controlled induction and at the end of the day we just kind of said to the doctors yep I guess it's in your hands kind of I guess I didn't know as powerful as I could have been at that point so yeah this whole gel situation really happened very quickly and the doctors had to insert the gel because of my high risk situation usually the midwives do but you know they injected they inserted it and left my midwife stayed for another few minutes but she was literally about to walk out the door and my husband was like oh you don't look so good and I didn't want to be that person that 
just started complaining straight away. So I thought, oh, you know, I'm fine. And I said, I just need to go to the toilet. Anyway, my midwife was like, what sort of toilet? I said, no, really need to do a poo. And she was like, oh, she put a hand on my stomach and I was in a contraction. So she put the monitor on. And at first, I guess we kind of thought it was a good thing, but then the contraction never, ever went away. (laughs) And Nora's heart rate just started dropping. So what actually happened is I had a reaction. I'm one of these super weird people who had a reaction to the gel, which put me into, I've forgotten the name of it, but um, just a, a contraction that never eases, which of course drops their heart rate because usually when your contraction you have a rest. recovers. Yeah. yeah. So it was just a, a constant tightening that you constant were feeling. Tightening. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Okay. So my midwife, I must say, she was absolutely amazing she knew even though she said that she's uh, she's been a midwife for like something like 40 years or something but she'd never ever come across this reaction before but she knew exactly what to do she you know obviously pressed on the buzzers but and the doctors were there very quickly but in the meantime she was getting a cannula in my arm she had to get gauze and put it inside me and try and scrape out the gel which was to this day the most painful thing I've ever experienced but she was just onto it she knew exactly what was happening and then when the doctors got there there was quite a lot of them they basically were yeah just knew I had to go straight to theatres and among all this franticness my husband passed out in the corner (laughs) I felt bad for him because like I was just kind of looking at him and I didn't really see what was going on whereas he's there watching you know people are like shoving things in me and prodding me and doctors are everywhere so um yeah that was always a bit of a laughing topic (laughs) (laughs) yeah he must have been so overwhelmed and and worried about you I suppose he was worried because he thought he doesn't deal well in hospitals let's just say it all but um but anyway so yeah that contraction never stopped so they took me straight to theatres and it was it was so quick they thought that I'd probably have to go under a general at first which I was really upset about but I really think to this day that it was because of my midwife getting me so well prepped that by the time, like when we got into theatres, they said they could do a spinal. So I was like shaking uncontrollably, but they managed to get the block in. And then, yeah, my husband was in soon afterwards. Yeah, it happened very, very quickly. It was the quickest season the surgeon had ever done. So I didn't really, I didn't speak to anyone in theatres. I didn't know who was in there. It was very much like, get this spinal in my husband was there and then the next minute the baby was out so obviously pediatrician had to be there so Nora went straight to the pediatrician and got the check and then came to me but she was wrapped in a blanket and then put on my chest which at the time was fine we were just in absolute awe after that which I didn't know was was very lucky to get this but when they were finished stitching me up my husband and my midwife got to go with Nora to recovery so my husband got skin on skin in recovery and then when I arrived, I then got skin on skin in recovery and Nora had her first breastfeed in recovery as well. So, yeah, it was extremely rushed. But at the same time, I don't know, I remember having this moment in recovery thinking that it was just amazing that she was here and, you know, she was breastfeeding. I didn't have to do anything to breastfeed. She just kind of did this weird lifting her head and kind of just latched on. And, yeah, it was a very, very weird experience, I guess. That's great that you got to have that time with her in recovery yeah, and your midwife no was on top that... of it. To, yeah, it can be really like lucky, isn't it? Because sometimes it, I think people don't realise, especially when it's your first time, that you can request for those things to yeah, actually 100%. happen. And I was in recovery for like two hours. So mm. I can't imagine being one of those mothers who is separated from their baby for that long. I think it would have completely destroyed my whole Caesar experience if 
if I didn't get to have her with me in recovery. So how did you feel afterwards in that recovery stage, I suppose? Despite the Caesar, I was in a lot of pain at the beginning, as you guys all know, but I did feel quite lucky that I recovered fairly quickly. Even in hospital, I was determined to get out of there. So after they let me have a shower the next day, I just started um, tuning into my friends who are physios and I thought, okay, I'm going to do some sit to stands and like walk around the ward and I ended up being able to go home and I stayed two nights and then I got to go home the next morning so I was pretty stoked to get out of there as well. How did you feel when you got home? Yeah uh, look surprisingly I felt pretty good. I forgot to mention my midwife actually came to us the day of this like that afternoon of the Caesar when we were in the hospital and the next day to kind of say look this was quite a traumatic experience. Do you want to talk to anyone about it? So she kind of offered some social services from the beginning, but like, I, yeah, I don't know. I know I knew it was a traumatic experience, but I was also kind of okay with it because she was, I don't know, she was healthy and we were happy. And did you feel, you know, because of your reaction to the gel and you were obviously in this extreme pain, do you sort of then feel, well, that cesarean was really necessary to get me out of that situation. A hundred percent. I felt like I was lucky to have been in an era where we have medical intervention. Yeah. I I did think that given my circumstances, I guess I thought I was quite lucky to even, you know, have a healthy baby out of it, be even be able to be awake in my Caesar and not be under a general. Yeah. And have my husband in there for part of it. We're quite positive people. And I, yeah, I don't know. I just felt like it probably helped that she was she was breastfeeding well, but I I really felt very lucky, to be honest, rather than upset mm. by the situation. Yeah. And then afterwards, at any point, did you look back and think any differently about what had gone on? Or? Um, not really. I think the chance, like I think it's something like one in 10,000 people get this reaction. So, like, mm. it was such a low risk. Mm. So no one knew that I was going to have this. Yeah, I never really looked back on it like it was a really negative thing, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. When the hospital discharged you, was there any talk about what the recommendations were for your future pregnancies? I actually asked my midwife straight away in Mm. hospital. I didn't really feel like that was a reason why. Like it was such a weird thing that happened to me and I still didn't think that that was a reason to not be able to try for a natural birth. And she kind of said to me from the very beginning that there was no real reason why we couldn't try again but you know she kind of said let's look after this one child and you know revisit that another time I didn't discuss with any of the doctors at the time but I didn't feel like it was the end of me attempting a natural birth do you want to take us to now your I guess headspace but just before I suppose falling pregnant with your son did you did you think about what kind of birth you would like prior to falling pregnant or was that only something that you thought about after falling pregnant again? No, I definitely knew that I wanted to try for a VBAC. We fell pregnant very quickly with our second, which was great. It took us a bit longer with our first. And so I I didn't really think about it too much at all, to be honest. But as as soon as we knew I was pregnant, I got in contact with my midwife from the midwifery group practice again. And she called me straight away and just said, yep, you can definitely try for a natural birth. She said, I've actually just bumped into the the surgeon that did your Caesar. She remembers you. I think I had a bit of a name about being this weird person who reacted to the gel <laughs> um, and they both said that I can definitely try so I felt supported from day one the fact that she said we'll put you back on the program again because they the midwives program are quite supportive of VBAC so I was a 
one of their higher priorities. So I was back on the program and I actually felt more confident this time in the way that, you know, everyone knew my history of what happened with my first pregnancy and birth. So I kind of, I, I felt stronger going into this pregnancy until COVID hit. That was a bit weird. Mm, so, oh, yeah. so at what at what stage was that during this pregnancy? Where, where did that all? Two months pregnant when COVID hit. So I'd gotten onto the program, but they had said we'll call you at around ten weeks. And at, at this point, COVID had hit. So that was funny because then I didn't get to have any face to face appointments until I was twenty four weeks. And I'm a real face to face person. I, I really like building relationships with people. I was a bit sad that. Yeah, appointments were on the phone and and things and my husband couldn't come to any scans at the beginning because it was in that Mm. really strict period but anyway I I was grateful it was my second not my first I think it was my first I'd be really upset by the restrictions so yeah I once I hit closer to kind of 30 weeks I got to see my midwife more often wasn't until I got closer to 40 weeks that I saw a doctor and I could sense their reluctancy for a VBAC I declined some of the additional scans uh, like the 36-week scan because I thought, well, I know that scans get more and more unreliable as the pregnancy progresses. I didn't want them to tell me that my baby was big or give me any sort of reason to not go through with the VBAC. So I knew my body well. I was exactly the same as my first pregnancy. I knew this baby was growing at the right rate. So apparently with VBACs, it's just like this weird thing that they like to do scans at 36 weeks. Well, at my hospital anyway, no one could actually give me a reason when I asked as to why, like a proper reason why. So yeah, I declined those scans and I declined the swab and it wasn't until I hit 40 weeks that they then said, okay, now we would really like a scan. And I thought, well, this scan now could be in my favour that if things are going well, then I can keep pushing for a bit more time. Where do you think their reluctance was stemming from? Was there ever any anything said to you that was sort of, you know, well, I think we should go down the repeat Caesar route or or any medical justifications given? Yeah, I think a lot of it was just the high head. Apparently, though, with, you know, subsequent pregnancies, it's common that a head doesn't engage. So my midwife was kind of like, look, that's kind of normal for a second pregnancy anyway. But given mm. that you didn't engage last time, you know, we've got to take it into account. They were never like, you shouldn't have a VBAC, but... Mm. They didn't want me to go too far over my due date before making a plan. The whole time my midwife was very, very supportive and I had these really, really, really mild contractions when I would go in and see her and she'd put like the monitor on. So mild to the point I didn't actually know what was happening until she said to me, you know, that's a tightening. I can see it on the machine and I'd say to her, oh, yeah, like I, I can feel that. It's just very, very mild. So if I'm talking or doing something or busy with my toddler, I just never notice them. So that gave us a little bit of hope, I think, towards the end. Did it feel a little bit stronger than your Braxton Hicks or did you think it was? I don't know. Like it was neither of them were as strong as my one long contraction that I did my first. So it was really hard to say, like, to be honest, if I wasn't sitting down doing nothing, thinking about it, I didn't didn't notice them. You were mentioning there that you... We're a bit more confident this time around. So you've done some research, I imagine, into VBAC during this pregnancy? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about like what what preparation you did mentally and physically as well uh, to prepare for this VBAC? Yep. So this time we did an online hypnobirthing course. I used it as a bit of a refresher. What I learned in this course was a bit about your rights. If you were to get a Caesar, there are some 
things that you could benefit from that I didn't know that I could have asked for, if that makes any sense. So like, mm. I didn't know that I could have asked for delayed cord clamping, for example, with a Caesar. And I also didn't know that I could get actual skin on skin rather than a baby wrapped in a blanket and then on my skin. So I kind of learned there were a few things that I could do to improve my birth experience if I ended up with a Caesar. And I think that was kind of good as well. And I also started listening to lots of your podcasts, which I found really, really helpful and some of the Australian birth story podcasts. So I kind of went a bit nuts every time I went for a walk. I just put the podcast <laughs> on and they're like, yes, I can do this. <laughs> yes, I remember you contacting us, I think, in the early stages to Yeah, yeah to I didn't say. know you guys existed until I remember listening to some of the just the normal Australian birth story podcasts. I remember thinking, like trying to scroll through to find VPACs. And then you guys came up and I was like, what? This is amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, I found listening to your podcast really, really helpful as well. Did you do anything physically to prepare that was different that you didn't do in your first birth? Like any Cairo, acupuncture, anything like of that sort of? Uh, not really. Um, mm. No, no. I mean, we d- yoga. I, did, I did yoga in both. Yeah, ah, prenatal yoga okay. in both of them attended some perineal massage in both of them but yeah there wasn't much different to Nora physically than my first pregnancy. Going into the VBAC because I know you touched on your husband before how he felt uh, he was quite affected by your first birth how was he with your VBAC was he supportive Um, how are your family? Yeah yeah he was very supportive. Wonderful. He he's just like has a serious fear of like anything to do with hospitals so he knew that I'd be in a hospital either way because I think our home birth plans were definitely out the window he was really 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 supportive given that we had a toddler we also knew that it would just be beneficial to have a natural birth so that I could actually do stuff in the six weeks afterwards and, and so that I could drive and everything like that so it just kind of made sense on a practical level as well my family was supportive my mum's a nurse and she's previously been a midi back in the back in the day and although she was supportive, I could still sense she was really nervous, given that she had three Caesars and my sister did. And, you know, she wanted to know every detail of my antenatal appointments and why they, you know, discussed this. And, you know, there's lots of questions. And I knew that it came from a place of love and I knew that I would probably do the same if it was my daughter. But, yeah, definitely sensed a little bit of anxiety there with going for a VBAC. I think through our little business on Instagram we that's how I kind of came in touch with you guys but I also have made other kind of friends through that circles of women to do with pregnancy and birth and I found they were really very very encouraging and I got quite a lot of messages off people and yeah I found that very empowering that's wonderful it's nice when the community on Instagram are supporting each other especially during pregnancy and that's really also during a time like COVID where you said you're not getting as much like face-to-face contact so in a way yeah having that kind of contact is is quite nice I don't actually use social media media personally at all neither does my (laughs) husband so we're, we're kind of like not very good at social media but since having this business I guess I've kind of got this different use for it and yeah I I was very surprised by how supportive it could be that's great and how were you feeling within yourself in the lead up to the second birth like what was the sorts of things going through your mind as you approached that day I don't know I guess I was so busy with a toddler that this pregnancy absolutely flew Mm. it was so similar in terms of like you know sick at the beginning and then 
back pain, but nothing else. I wasn't uncomfortable. I was so busy in the lead up to this pregnancy as well, not just with my toddler, but I was trying to do photo shoots for our book, for all the recipes Mm. in our book. So I was like really going gangbusters, probably going a little bit too hard. I kind of just didn't think about my birth as much. Doing the hypnobirthing course was really good, but I had moments of going, am I wasting time doing this? Like I could be folding the washing and if I'm going to end up in another Caesar, like what's the point in doing this? But I kept on pushing through. So yeah, I don't know. It was just this mixed kind of feelings of I, I didn't have a lot of time to think about things. I felt more confident, but at the same time, I wasn't convinced I would have a natural birth. I think what I felt more confident about was that there was I had a better plan in my head of how things could unfold. And if they didn't unfold the way I wanted them to, I knew ways that I could still have quite a positive outcome for mm. birth. Mm. Yeah, that's good that you had like both, both pathways sort of in place that, yeah. you know, if this were to happen, then how can I make that a positive experience? Yeah. And without being negative, I knew this baby was not coming out without any intervention. Like it, I just, I just knew he, he was so high. Like I literally, mm. people talk about this pelvis pain and about Braxton Hicks and like I barely even get them. Like I literally mm. feel like I could just be pregnant forever. Like these babies mm. just don't want to come out of me at all. Mm. Oh, wow. um, so I, I kind of knew that my best chance would have been an induction if I wanted a natural birth. In your head, where were you at with how far you felt comfortable going in this pregnancy? Yeah, Obviously, last time was 40 weeks yep. when the doctor started to put sort of the induction talk to you. For this pregnancy, were you thinking I might go a little bit longer or what, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I did think I would go a bit longer. I thought that was another thing I probably felt more confident in. I didn't really feel like I was ever going to go into a spontaneous labor and therefore that risk of clamping the cord or clipping the cord I didn't think was very high so I was kind of happy to go a bit further than 40 weeks they originally wanted to do it about 40 plus six just because that was a Friday and so they didn't want to do it on the weekend and over the week I kind of felt okay with it nothing was changing like nothing was changing in my cervix they still couldn't even get inside me once I got to 40 plus like just over 40 weeks. I I was happy to go further over, but I also knew that if there's not a lot changing, I didn't know what I was particularly waiting for as as well. I actually ended up getting a cold (laughs) a few days before I was, like two days before I was booked in for my induction and they just said, yep, it's not worth attempting a induction when you've got a cold, so we'll push it back. So it ended up getting pushed back until 40 plus eight. 41 plus one, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm terrible with that stuff. I know. <laughs> um, which I was really glad for because I was like coughing and. You weren't feeling well. Oh, was gosh, there, was no. there any fears around COVID because it was a cough or were you sort of forced to get tested or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, I had that? to get tested. And I met like as soon as I got the slightest symptom, I made all of us get tested. So like me, my husband and my daughter, because the only thing going through my head was, oh, my God, if they don't let my husband in here, I'm going to really lose it. So mm. yeah. I was like, yeah. okay, we're all getting tested so that they can't say, you know, if he's got a bit of a sniffle you know, I, I kind of just wanted a sign basically saying, we've all been tested, we don't have COVID, mm. please let us in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. And in terms of your midwife, did you have the same midwife as in the first pregnancy or 
You just no, sort of have I a didn't. connection there. Yeah. yeah, I didn't have the same one because she was on uh, due to be on annual leave originally, but I was in the same group. So I did mm. see her at times. My actual midwife for the second one was so, so, so great. I couldn't have spoken higher of each of my midwives, to be mm. honest, and that's really, great. really supportive of the VBAC. Mm, um, yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, speaking of, I guess, VBAC, the risk of uterine rupture, did that play on your mind or were you quite comfortable with the risk? To be honest, it didn't yeah. bother me at all. I know it's one of the things that most people freak out about, but it's a very low risk. And I know that the risk increases with an induction, but it still didn't seem to bother me. I just thought, you know, I'm in the best place for it. They're monitoring me so much. Like, I don't know how it could possibly, things could go I don't know. I'm sure they could go terribly wrong, but it just it just wasn't something that seemed to affect me. I don't know, I can't really explain why. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Oh, sorry. I was just going to specify there because obviously because of what had happened in your first induction, were they going to use the balloon or what, yeah. what was the okay. Everyone was just like, no gel, don't let this girl yeah. have any gel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they kept on saying to me, like, ev- like every day, like, you know, do you want it? We can just book in for an for a Caesar, or do you want to follow mm. through with attending for a VBAC I, and I would keep on saying nope I want to keep going for a VBAC. <laughs> I feel like in a way that the fact that that happened in your first birth it was sort of just made it very clear and obvious that this is what happened do you know what I mean because often in these circumstances yep. like there's no clear indicator you know it could have been yep. and could have been that but from what you've told us of what happened with the gel it was just so clearly a direct reaction that there was yeah. no denying that that was the cause of of why everything happens in the way it did. Yeah, so. and I guess that's what kind of made me think, well, I haven't I, I technically yeah. haven't really tried. So yeah. even my midwife said, like, we kind of have to view this a little bit as a first birth in a way. Yes. Like, because what happened last time kind of ruled out, we don't really well, know anything else. It wasn't yeah. really even a trial of labor in a way. It was no, sort it of wasn't cut, at all. Cut short by. Yeah. yeah and I know um, some women would curse me for saying this, but I, I wanted to try and labor. Like, mm. I wanted to go through that in a really weird bizarre yeah. way yeah I wanted to know what it was like to birth my own child yeah I think Belle she had the elective disease really identified with that you know she wanted to feel what a contraction felt like absolutely yeah yeah and I just wanted to feel a bit yeah I don't know like have a bit of control over my birth I was <laughs> thinking I just want to feel what a contraction feels like I'll be really happy with just feeling what contractions <laughs> yes. feel like that my body's <laughs> And, you know, if I get to push the baby out in the end, that's a bonus. But yeah. for me, because I of the first like birth, I, I didn't get to experience that at all. That was like my goal. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I know. People think we're crazy to say these things, but, you know, mm. other no, people don't know what totally, it's like. To it's probably like an instinctual <laughs> biological urge to want to yeah. go, through, go through that process. Did yeah. you want to take us then to what happened next? So they had booked you in yeah, for an yep. induction. You were 40 weeks plus eight days or 41 yep. plus, plus Something one. around that. Yeah, yeah. so I was basically <laughs> right on the edge of they don't really yeah. like you going much over 10 days. Once again, I know that I can technically push to 12 or 14 days, but that just didn't see the, the point in doing that at, given my circumstances. But I went to hospital on a Sunday afternoon, inserted the balloon, which for those who don't know, is more of a mechanical way of opening up your cervix rather than the gel, which uses drugs. They put that in and it didn't feel too different at first. I don't, I I could have just zoned out at this point, but they didn't particularly tell me that it would actually put me into kind of like a pre-labor. 
They, mm. I remember them saying, oh, you know, we've charted Panadine Fort and sleeping tablets. And I remember thinking, what the heck would I need those for? Like, like you've just inserted this balloon. Like, But, um, you know, a few hours later when I moved to the ward from the birthing suite, my husband was still with me and I was definitely getting pre-labour contractions. And they put me on the machine and, you know, they were relatively strong. And I was getting about two or three in 10 minutes. And I remember thinking, how the heck am I meant to get any sleep like but I ended up saying yes to the Panadine Fort and I kind of felt like I just dozed in and out of sleep kind of over the night I felt like I woke up every what I would call I guess a mild contraction but yeah my husband thought I would be calling him in like an hour because fast we didn't really know what these whole contractions were like but anyway they say to you you know go to the toilet and try and tug it a little bit to see if it if you can pull the balloon out mm. but there was definitely it that thing was not coming out at all and the next morning my midwife was there quite early at like seven and my husband was there at seven as well and we went into the birthing suite my midwife took the balloon out and after she took it out it was very relieving um, but I was open enough for them to be able to get into my uterus but not I hadn't like opened very much I think it was only like one centimeter or something like that um, oh, yeah, okay I was wondering what what do they because when the balloon goes in, the idea is it to try and get you to expand. Yeah. How many? Yeah. Is so it's, I don't it's know. It's kind of like it, it's kind of meant to by shoving it open, your body can then like naturally start to Contract produce those yeah. hormones and kind of. Some people go into labor from it. My my friend did actually, but for me, it kind of just got shoved up there and it opened it up a little bit. But yeah, it didn't really start any sort of. Once they pulled it out, my contractions completely died. Okay, and what were you given as options at this point? At this point, they they weren't even convinced they would be able to break my waters, but they said, "Look, my the doctor came in. She was lovely, um, and she said we're going to try and break your waters. If we're unsuccessful, just because I still wasn't open very much at all." said if we're unsuccessful in breaking your waters we can't do the induction and you'll have to go straight for a caesar so we're just going to give it a try she explained everything she went in and when she broke my waters I couldn't believe how much fluid came out like it was the weirdest feeling ever my (laughs) oh my poor husband's gonna hate me for this but he he passed out again Um, there was just like so much of this like mucusy liquid everywhere and oh my god I just remember looking at him and being like oh shit did someone get him a chair I I also think it's uh, great great that the hospital setting makes him clearly feel this way so bad. Yes. but yet yet it's so much a part of your life and I know in the hospital that it's so funny but um oh, you it's, hate it. I kind of guess it's nice in a way that he he was obviously just so affected by seeing you in this state, yes. you know, because he was feeling so much. <laughs> it was so hard, like, so hard to it watch someone hard not go through that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but, um, but anyway, I just remember thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't warn them that this was going to happen. So he had, like, one of the junior doctors looking after him. Um, <laughs> But um, the breaking of the waters actually went really, really well. They were they were really happy with it. And when they went in, they explained to me that they're actually going to put a clip on the top of his head to get direct monitoring. I know some people might not like that, but given my high-risk circumstance, I felt really good about that. That yeah. gave me even more kind of um, confidence, confidence in a way. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah. 
that's kind of cool because you know you your concern right was that his head was high, yep. but they broke the waters and they were able to put the clip on the clip his on. head. Yeah, because um, okay. once that water came out, his head descended. Ah, okay. Yeah, it still didn't engage. So it never went into his head. Still never went into my pelvis. Yeah. Um, okay. So they were able to get the clip on, and I just thought, okay, well, if the, if my biggest risk of this high head situation is that he's kind of bobbing around and therefore cord can get clipped underneath. That's kind of how they explained it to me. Yes. Yeah. I said by having this clip on his head, we know instantly if something's wrong. So I felt really good about that. Um, and the doctors were just so good at explaining it. You know, they did explain to me that in a normal circumstance, they would be happy to let you just see if you'll go into a more natural labour from breaking the waters without running the syntosin straight away. I think they have guidelines on how many hours you can push before they hang it but they said given that the head's still not in my pelvis they really wanted the syntocin to run to get that head in and so that it's not bobbing around so I kind of understood that you know my midwife didn't rush or anything we were we were kind of cheering that we got in the waters broken and we all knew that my best way of having any luck would be to have an active birth so although I was attached to a lot of things we got up on a Fitball. We kind of like had the room all organized so that I could be on a fitball as well as being attached to everything. And I was bouncing away and I was getting contractions, but they were, you know, they were still pretty mild. I was just breathing through them. Yeah, we were fully cheering. I told my husband to go and get a coffee. I was like, we could be here all day. (laughs) And you were feeling good. Yeah, I was feeling really, really good. I went to the toilet and, you know, we'd been chatting probably only half an hour gone by and we thought, oh, you know, maybe we'll. Put something to watch on the laptop and then in the most calm 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 way possible oh yeah that's right they ran they started running the syntocin and about 15 minutes later very very calmly my midwife just said to me um okay Renee I'm just gonna get you to jump back on the bed again and she pressed all the buzzers <laughs> um and I hadn't even realized so when you have a clip on their head you can hear their heart rate. It's quite loud. But I was in, I was just in such a good mindset that I didn't even notice that that had completely dropped. Basically, my midwife picked up on it straight away. The doctors all came in and it was basically, my husband said that the doctor was just like walked in, it was glove, lube, straight up and lifted the head. And so what had happened is that it had clipped the cord. So they were able to recover the heart rate fairly quickly but it never like properly recovered and her hand was still inside me at this point basically they kind of just played around with it tried to find the cord tried to move it away she was able to get a hand out and his heart rate was not bad at this point but Mm. not normal and they basically just said look the risk of that happening again is very high he still hasn't engaged when we really need to consider a caesar and she said you know, let's just monitor the heart rate for a little bit and I'll come back in a minute or two. So she gave us a bit of space and my husband and I just said, look, we were more than happy to push for a VBAC when it was safe, but as soon as something becomes, you know, not at the, not as safe as we had liked, we were happy to accept the Caesar. And when she came in, his heart rate was still not properly recovered and she just said, look, we've got to take you to theatres. When they reached that stage, how long had you been in this process for? Like since they broke the waters until now? Yes, yeah. Hadn't, hadn't even been an hour. How so, yeah. far apart were your contractions? And this is with I the syntocin on, right? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I was getting about two in 10 minutes. Okay. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, you were feeling contractions. And then obviously when they told you to go on the bed, what pos- can I ask what position did they tell you to, to get in on the bed? Because obviously they were concerned about cord prolapse um, and that's why they the doctor had the hand in there yep. to protect the cord from coming. Yep, I was initially on my back when yes. they first walked in and then once her hand was inside me, they asked me to move onto my side. Okay. So then I was on one side and then after I'd been on that side for a while, very, very painfully, they asked me to move to my other side. So I don't know whether they were trying to fish around for the cord gravity a little bit on either side to try and see if they could move it, but I was definitely still in that lying down position. Did anyone talk to you about your options at that point in time? Did they sort of say, look, you know, we can go a bit longer and and try and give you more of an opportunity or if you'd prefer we can sort of make the call now? After they first recovered the heart rate and got the hand out, they were quite happy that it came back almost to normal relatively Mm. quickly. And I I remember my doctor saying something along the lines of, okay, that was a bit scary. We can monitor things. She kind of basically said something about like one strike, we can reevaluate, two strikes are out. So basically (laughs) saying that if it happened again, it's straight to theatres. But then when she gave us some time to think about it and came back, the heart rate had was still not quite at the point that she would have liked it. So she, mm. that was then when they said that they felt more comfortable about going straight mm. for a Caesar at that point. And were you in, in agreement with that? Yeah, I was yeah. at that point. I felt like yeah. I'd given it a really good shot. Like I didn't know yeah. what else. I think if I had known that he had started engaging or if I could see some little bit of progress I think I may have pushed a little bit more to try a bit harder but his head still hasn't even engaged hadn't gone into my pelvis I felt like I don't know I guess you had to make that decision of when am I doing this just to you know really get my natural birth that I really wanted and when am Mm. I jeopardizing his safety Um, and I just didn't think it was in the best interest of myself or my baby to keep Mm. pushing at that point, given that we hadn't seen any great progress. I think it's really interesting, you know, how you touched on your family history as well about your mother and your sister and being in similar situations. Did you mention that they also took a while for their babies to engage? Is that? They never engaged. They never engaged. Um, No. So my sister got Sintocin with her first. She was very much like on a bed most of the time, Mm. I think. So that's why I thought, you know, well, if I get up on a ball, I could be different, move my hips different places and opportunity in my prenatal yoga and trying to get all these positions right. But it still wasn't helping. And, yeah, I mean, I I was stoked that they broke my waters, but that was, once again, another mechanical thing that they did. It's not like the baby was actually doing anything itself to progress the labour. It's understandable, you know, because of your family history, your feelings and your, you know, worries as well about continuing the pregnancy. And I did did really Mm. feel like I knew my options and I didn't Mm. feel like they pressured me into anything too quickly. I did feel like at the end of the day, it was kind of our decision ish if that makes any sense. Mm. Like, yeah, like they didn't just completely take it out of our hand. It's not like they walked in and went, oh, you clip the cord straight to theatres like they even left the room and let us have a chat together and then we included our midwife in that chat and you know I did I did feel somewhat listened to in that situation yeah so when they made the call and and you were in agreement for the cesarean take us from there how did you feel 
very different to my first. Like I was still getting on and off contractions, but you know, it was like this slow walk down the corridors and I got to say goodbye to my husband while he sat in the waiting room. And I met like 50 people in theaters, like even though it was as they classified an emergency Caesar, because his heart rate had come back quite like a decent amount. Mm. It was so different to my first, way more calm. I felt like I was in there forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, like I remember speaking to the doctors and, you know, they were having a bit of a laugh. I even noticed what music was playing and when they did the spinal, it was just the whole thing was so different. I feel like it just took way too long to get things going. Like my husband, the poor thing, was waiting for like half an hour in the waiting room, whereas he was only in the waiting room for five minutes with Nora. But... I did really dislike the Caesar. I hate the feeling of being completely numb to my body. I hate the smell of it. I hate the tugging. I cried the whole way through, but my husband was there. And I guess once he actually came out, this is when things changed a lot for me. So they they lifted him up. They didn't tell me the sex. They lifted him up and we were able to see first as to what the sex was. When they lifted him up, the doctor voiced out loud we are doing delayed cord clamping and I just instantly felt so much better so like the fact that she said it so I could hear her was really 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 amazing he went to them to the pediatrician but really briefly and instead of him coming back to me in a towel my midwife unwrapped the towel and she put him on my like my his skin on my skin and then put the towel over both of us yeah, it was a little bit awkward with him, <laughs> like it was, as you know what it's like, but it was so it was so magical. He ended up having his first breastfeed in theatres. I must have really hungry children. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I had told my midwife, you know, at our last appointment around 40 weeks that if I end up with a Caesar, these are the things that I would like. And I couldn't believe how much she advocated for it and how much everyone got on board that. So they were really small things in the scheme of things, but I knew that my baby benefited so much from that delayed cord clamping, especially with the iron. To get that immediate skin on skin and to have a breastfeed in, like they didn't rush me out. I really couldn't have, in a really weird way, I couldn't have been happier given the circumstances that had just happened. That's so great that they were able to honour your wishes in that regard. And as you say, even though they may seem like such minute things. They really can make such a huge difference for you. Just to feel like they've actually considered you and taken your needs or your preferences into consideration, it's amazing how empowering that is. Sounds like it was a beautiful cesarean experience for you. Yeah, if you put those two words together. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's really lovely, Renee. And, of course, Freddie stayed with you in recovery and yeah. you got to yeah. cuddle a bit more with him there. The only problem with recovery this time was they gave me um, morphine as part of my drugs and I had a reaction to the morphine. Oh, no. Um, so I was, like, oh, really geez. nauseated and, like, totally out of it. I don't remember talking to my parents or my sister. or my. I think when, by the time I called my brother, I said to my husband, you're going to have to talk to him because I don't even know what's going on. But even though that was big crap, they were straight onto it. They gave me this drug that reverses the medication. And it wasn't too long until I kind of felt a little bit normal again. But yeah, once again, I was in recovery for so long. So I can't imagine not having my baby with me in that time. I think he breastfed twice in recovery. And tell us about when you were discharged from hospital, what was that recovery like the second time around from a, from a cesarean? Yeah, it, was, it was pretty similar, I must say. 
different that I had a toddler at home to try and explain that I couldn't pick her up and that if she wanted a cuddle, we had to walk to the couch and it kind of like ruins the moment a little bit. But um, I think I accidentally would pick her up every now and again and, you know, that would hurt. I would say that initial surgery pain went for a little bit longer this time, but I think it was because I was accidentally doing too much which is just what happens when you've got a toddler. I honestly thought that my husband had the harder job in that immediate postpartum. He's a school teacher, so he was able to get the whole six weeks off as carer's leave. Um, That's great. Which was amazing. I don't know how people do it without it, with a Caesar. But, Mm. you know, I felt like he was doing everything, like the, the cooking, the cleaning, the welcoming of guests, but also dealing with the toddler who was had her own emotions and you know meanwhile I'm just sitting on the couch breastfeeding and eating delicious food (laughs) (laughs) so so, yeah I I would say the actual pain lasted a bit longer second time around but it was just because I was maybe just trying to do a bit too much emotionally afterwards how did you process what had gone on and did you have a debrief with your midwives and your teen team at the hospital yep I did I don't know. I haven't really looked into it, to be honest, but they kind of said to me, I have what they call a bit of a male-like pelvis. They were able to kind of investigate it a bit more second time round, and they said it's very unlikely I would ever deliver a baby naturally. I don't know whether there's much science behind that or, or what, but apparently a small portion of women do have this pelvis that's shaped more like a male and it's very difficult to have a natural birth. So they kind of put it down to the fact that I probably have that and it is probably the same as my my sister. Um, But we will never really know for sure. But they said if I want to have any more children that I, well, they said I'd have to have a book Caesar, but I don't think I'll have more children. (laughs) (laughs) You are in your four months postpartum, you've got the two under five. So, yeah, it's, it's probably very early on to be thinking about those things but I guess in terms of your second and you know what the debrief and where we talk about you know what happened in the birth and and what led to what I guess ultimately did they say that your baby's heart rate and the bradycardia like did they class that as bradycardia like the that his heart rate was not fully recovering and and that these were all sort of physiological reasons for yeah yeah, I think um yeah they did mention the bradycardia in in both but I think their biggest reason and concern for it was just the fact that they could never get his head into my pelvis to be honest I didn't push it at the time I kind of thought look if we do decide to ever want a third child I'll probably then do a bit more research Mm. talk to my midwife again and maybe even see if I can get some a bit more specific advice from the doctors but I guess at Mm. the time I kind of was just like look I don't think mm. I want another child. I cannot go through another season. Mm. I hate them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it, I, I guess I haven't put a lot of thought into it. You're probably still yeah. processing it even now. You know, yeah, and I, I do believe so strongly in women being able to have a natural birth and I do believe really strongly in women advocating for VBACs. But a part of me does feel like in my situation I need to be so grateful of modern medicine because you know, I have two beautiful, healthy children and I'm not physically or mentally disturbed from either of them on a you know longer term at all. So, yeah, I guess I'll never really know the answer as to whether I could have a natural birth, but I do feel like I gave it a crack and I do feel like my particular hospital and midwives supported me. So 
I don't know what else I could really wish for in that circumstance. Mm. Yeah, good on you. Yeah. On your Instagram, when you had posted about your birth, you'd given some really good advice, actually, to the women out there and anyone who's yeah preparing for birth. I can't even <laughs> remember what I wrote now. <laughs> you said uh, preparing for the birth you want is essential. Even if it doesn't go to plan, knowing your options and being informed can make all the difference. Then you went on to say, as it turns out, it is unlikely that I will ever have a vaginal birth as I was told by my surgeon. However, my birth planning didn't go to waste. I walked into that hospital feeling confident. I knew my chances of VBAC were slim, but I wanted to try and I had strategies in place if it ended in a Caesar. With the support of my husband and midwife, I was still able to achieve many of my wishes. Birth may not be glamorous or perfect, but gosh, it is magical. Oh, thank you. But yeah, I did feel like that being informed, it just, it really does go a long way. I, to be honest, I was quite shocked when you guys asked me to come and chat on the podcast because I thought that I'm not a successful feedback person. Like why? I, I might not help other people with their feedback journeys. But yes, I, I think it's quite great that you have included it in a way because there were still benefits to it. I guess. And it depends on how you define in this space. If you're defining success as a positive birth experience and you were able to have some of those yeah. some of those things present in your birth, then that's a successful birth regardless yeah. of the outcome in that way. And sometimes there is that fixation on the delivery mode, but but not enough thought goes into all of the other things that can make this yeah, totally um, agree. a formative experience. Yeah, and I think yeah. as a VBAC candidate, when your chances are a little bit maybe slimmer from mm. like structural reasons maybe, like I felt myself, mm. it's very easy to give up and go, oh, well, I'm going to end up in another season, so I'm just not going to bother. And I felt like doing that so many times, but I was so glad that I didn't. So, you know, if I could persuade anyone to not give up and to keep on researching or talking to people and preparing for things that they want to happen in their birth I I do really believe that you can still can still benefit a lot from that yeah you're a testament to that thank you for sharing you know your two very personal stories with us and yeah women out there will find that quite inspirational but particularly just your positive outlook and your capacity to say hold on, you know, we can look at this in a positive way. And I think that's really transformative and really admire that in you, that outlook. And I think it's something the world needs, especially at the moment. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, good on you. And yeah. Um, yeah, thank good you. On you guys. Keep this going. <laughs> I, I think you guys have such a great little podcast here. So oh, thank, <laughs> thank you for listening to this VBAC story. If you like the show, please subscribe and feel free to leave a review. If you would like to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for VBAC Birth Stories. If you have a question or you'd like to express interest in sharing your personal story, email us at vbackbirthstories at gmail.com. VBAC Birth Stories is a podcast where we share women's lived experiences. Please be advised that it's not intended to replace medical advice. If you have any concerns at all during your pregnancy, 
please always speak to your healthcare provider.